0: Welcome to the Worst Bestsellers, where we listened to what you guys read so we don't have to. Or we did sometimes, depending on the book. You'll hear about it in a moment. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And this is the 150th episode of Worst Bestsellers. Hooray! Oh my
1: gosh.
0: We're so g- good. <laughs> We're so persistent.
1: <laughs> yes, we started a podcast and we did not stop the podcast.
0: <laughs> Congratulations you. for doing the minimum amount of effort.
1: <laughs> I mean, at least a medium amount of effort. Let's, True. Let's. um, Yeah, so we wanted to do something a little bit special because we are, you know, humans and these big round numbers are sort of appealing to us, even though, is there anything really that different between this and the 149th and 151st episodes?
0: yes because we're making it different (laughs) (laughs) um we asked you guys to send us um your favorite childhood books as a celebration of our upcoming flashback summer and uh amazingly surprisingly you responded we were 100 percent prepared to ask all of our friends to do this if we needed to so we wouldn't look bad
1: Yes, when we were talking about what to do for our 150th episode, we had this idea of a, a call-in type show, except you can't literally call in because we don't have that kind of capability, but an email-in call-in show, and, and we were like, well, if no one does it... We could at least get a few of our friends to do it and pad that out into an episode. But we didn't have to. You guys did it. And I it was such a treat to listen to all of these recordings. I'm so excited to share them all with all of you listeners, um, especially, you know, now we're, we're in the time of COVID. I think we're all just looking for a little virtual human connection. And it's just... It's been so sweet to hear all of your voices and, and to hear how um you can hear. Like, people are still moved talking about these books that meant so much to them as kids. And it's just really just really wholesome and just a lot nicer than uh the garbage we normally are doing for this podcast
0: 100 (laughs) percent i said to renata more than once when well i said in my head more than once i think i only said it out loud to renata once (laughs) that you guys are just the cutest and the sweetest and we love you
1: we do love you um another thing that i love and we'll get into this but there were only two books that were repeated through this, because that, that was another thing was like, well, what if everyone calls and everyone says Anne of Green Gables, which actually no one said Anne of Green Gables, but I'll say it now. I love Anne of Green Gables, <laughs> um, but there's such a variety and it's such a mix of like total all-time classics and books that like I had never heard of and I have a degree in children's literature, basically. Um so it, I I also think there's something inspirational about
0: that, too. Like,
1: no matter what, like, everything is somebody's favorite.
0: Yeah. We didn't script this part, uh, Renata, but what I know we've we have done Flashback Summer for a long time. And um, we've talked mostly, I think, about series that were our favorite as a kid. But if we were a podcast you listened to, what would you have uh, written in to talk about? I feel like
1: the truest answer is my problematic fave, which is the Little House series by Laura Ingalls Wilder, which we've talked about actually doing an episode about. And I feel like I don't want to get into a whole episode's worth of it because I don't really feel qualified to talk about as an adult, like realizing how like, painful and racist those books um, are. But as a kid, I just, I loved them so much, and that was always kind of our go-to, like, playground thing was, like, playing Little House, and, like, we, we went to South Dakota. Like, it was a thing that, it, it did mean a lot to me, and so I, so I think that is it, but I think if I were calling in, I would fudge it, and I would say Anne of Green Gables, which I loved, I think, <laughs> slightly less, but is, in retrospect, slightly less
0: problematic. How about you? (laughs) Um, I actually think I would talk about a book that we have talked about on the podcast before. One of two things, either the Scary Stories books, um, which I talked about at length when we did that, or um, I saw a tweet today that said something along the lines of like, what was the book in your childhood that you read that made you want to be a writer? Mm. And for me, that was the, the... Nina Tan Lavin books by Bruce Coville, uh The Ghost in the Third Row and The Ghost War Grey and The Ghost in the Big Brass, Bre- uh, Big Brass Bed, and we did The Ghost in the Third Row um, a couple summers ago, or last summer. I don't know how time works anymore. No, no one time, does, really. time is
1: meaningless. <laughs> but I do um, remember that book. It was cute. I never read it as a kid, though.
0: Yeah, I was, like, super obsessed with them, and I remember one of the first, like... Stories with a beginning, middle and an end that wasn't just written on like the fake book cutout pages that we played with in um, that we did crafts with in like second grade was essentially a short story that was 100% ganked from those characters. Um, It it was basically fan fiction with the names changed because I, I loved them so much. And I knew that those were the types of stories that I wanted to read more of and write more of. And here I am attempting to do that as an adult. Uh, Yeah. So I I like those still. Mm.
1: Books are great, except for a lot of them. But But with that segue, why don't we dip into what our listeners liked?
0: All right. Um, We're actually going to start with Andrew and Craig, uh, the Overdudes from Overdue who uh, were kind enough to get together and record a little bit about their favorite childhood books, and uh, here they are.
2: Hey, Renata. Hey, Kate. I'm Craig. And I'm Andrew. And we're the idiots from Overdue. It's a podcast (laughs) about the books you've been reading, but we're going to tell you about our picks for the flashback summer episode that you're doing. Andrew, you read books in the summer as a kid, right?
3: I did. I sure did. The, uh, the ones I wanted to talk about were the Prudane Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. Um, so in my tweens going into my teens, I was starting to look beyond Narnia and Middle Earth for fantasy. Found things like Redwall and the Wheel of Time. But I also found the Chronicles of Prudane, the most recognizable title in this quintilogy of yep. books. <laughs> Is probably The Black Cauldron, which was made into a notoriously unsuccessful Disney animated film in the mid-1980s. Love it. It was so unsuccessful that they didn't release it on home video until 1998. Anyway, the book series is about magic and adventures and supernatural forces and good guys versus bad guys. But more so than your Tolkien's or your Red Walls, it's also about growing up and finding your way in the world. Um, the entire series sort of takes the hero's journey and maps it onto adolescence in a way that appealed to adolescent Andrew you asked for candy pairings I would pair this with Twizzlers pull and peel which is the licorice that you peel apart and eat one string at a time like string cheese I could stretch the metaphor and say that peeling back the layers of these characters one string at a time is satisfying and prolongs your enjoyment of the candy but mostly it's just a good candy thank you the end now it's Craig's turn.
2: <laughs> now it's my turn. One of my favorite summertime reads growing up was the Young Jedi Knights series by Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Moesta. It's set 23 years af- uh, Aby—that's after the Battle of Yavin—for all you nerds out there. And the series covers the Jedi training of Han and Leia's twins, Jason and Jaina Solo. There's also a cool warrior princess, as well as Chewie's nephew, whose name is—get this—Lobaca.
3: Lobaka.
2: no it's not <laughs> so what if they're not canon anymore star wars side stories are fun just ask a baby yoda uh, plus it was great to be a teen reading about other star wars teens building lightsabers meeting classic characters and letting the force be with them uh if i was gonna eat a candy with these books it'd be junior mints because i would buy them in the grocery store checkout aisle and i remember reading these books in a food line in north carolina once <laughs> Uh, also, because junior mints are like junior versions of your favorite heroes, like the That's junior cute. versions in these books. Nice.
1: All right, I um, first of all thank you again, Andrew and Craig. They um, have been such such kind and generous dudes to us as a um, a shorter running book podcast than them, and and they're just great guys and. And I also just want to say that I also love those Young Jedi Knights books, (laughs) but I never read Chronicles of Prydain, and I think you can all tell that doesn't sound like something that I would like.
0: Uh, Same. I never read that one. I don't know that I read the Young Jedi Knights, but I did read a bunch of other um, Star Wars tie in novels for kids, and I can't remember any of the titles of any of them now. Um, One of them was the Obi-Wan series, read those. And then there was another one that was like these two kids who were, I don't know. It doesn't matter.
1: Star Wars is (laughs) It doesn't matter. They weren't the young Jedi Knights. It's true. Which are now um, non-canonical because in those books, uh, Han and Leia had three kids. And yet the movies now reveal that they only had one and he kind of sucked. Yeah, but that's a controversial take, and let's not get into that. Let's move <laughs> on to our let's move on to our next listener, who um here he is. he's Alan. Yes.
4: Hi, Renata, Kate, and Duarte. This is Alan. I am from Philadelphia. I grew up in Hong Kong, but I live and work in Philadelphia now. My favorite book from childhood is Watership Down by Richard Adams. You might have heard about this book already. Uh, This was covered on the Overdue podcast. But a quick plot summary is it follows a group of rabbits who uh, decide to leave their home after one of the rabbits has a vision of their home being destroyed. And they go on on a grand adventure across the British countryside to find a new warrant, They meet other rabbits, they meet a cat, they meet they go and they they uh, encounter a farm, they beat a seagull. Uh, there are many characters it 's quite the well constructed world. There are many moments that stuck with me. Uh, the one impression I have reflecting on that book now is that it is quite dark, uh, even by a children 's literature from that era. There are scenes of Uh, Obviously, humans killing rabbits, but also rabbits getting into fights and, and in some cases dying. But I really loved this book. I read this many, many times when I was growing up. I was really into animal books, so maybe that was why I liked it. But hopefully this doesn't cause you too much pain if you do decide to read it. And a candy pairing for the book would be something that's extremely British. Um, The two things that I think of are Jaffa Cakes and these things called uh, Cavendish and Harvey Fruit Drops. So Jaffa Cakes are these kind of small round cookies basically with orange jam and chocolate on the top. Um, And Cavendish and Harvey Fruit Drops are just basically fruit-flavored hot candy, but it came in a fancy tin, and you could get both of these uh, at the Marks and Spencers in Hong Kong, and I really liked them, and so did my mother. So uh, thank you very much again for the podcast, and I hope you enjoy Flashback Summer. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, so look forward to listening to whatever comes up in the summer. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks to Alan for uh, a... Listening, I believe that actually we met you, Alan, at one of our live shows, oh, yeah, and uh, you were delightful, and this was delightful and thanks so much for sharing it with us, and thanks, of course, for shouting out uh our buds over at overdue
1: mm-hmm. also, I do want to say um when i I love jaffa cakes, I first had them when I was. In England but you can find them in the US if you know what you're looking for and if you like that chocolate orange flavor palette like do yourself a favor and check out a Jaffa cake (laughs) I don't know the other candy but try it too if you find it why not
0: continuing down the uh, animal path that we have created uh, next we're going to hear from Red uh, who's going to talk about a book I'd never heard of called the Wayne Scott Weasel
5: Hello, Worst bestsellers. Uh, my name is Red. I'm originally from the sunny deserts of eastern Washington. And uh, the book I went with, though I'm terrible at choosing a favorite of anything, uh, as my childhood favorite for, for this flashback summer is The Wayne Scott Weasel by Tor Seidler, I believe. This book was kind of a, a little bit in the spirit of, a, of Watership Down, which I wound, wound up reading later on. This book came out, I think, in Nineteen ninety-three or so, and so I would have been ten or eleven reading it. And uh, I was just a kid who really loved animal stories. And looking back on this book, I can see why I loved it so much, as it was a story of just impossible situations and impossible love. Um, in retrospect, because as it's the story of a weasel that falls in love with a fish and has to figure out how to save her from impossible situations. So while I haven't thought about it too much in the last twenty years, I was amused to look it up, figure out the name, and see that a couple Goodread's reviewers were um quite put out by the thought of a fish weasel romance as far as a candy pairing. I would say just berries, you know whatever a weasel's gonna eat berries, chicken eggs from the coop you've tunneled into
1: yes, yeah. this- oh. Well, I was going to say, that I, by the way, I didn't mention this before because we were too busy talking about how we like Alan, but I never read Watership Down, and, like, I never will. And I feel like, for me, like, I loved animals when I was a kid, I love animals now, but I also was and am so sensitive that I think Evan was like, oh, no, she can't read Watership Down. Like, I didn't <laughs> even hear about this in college, maybe, and I think Evan was just like, no, that's not for her. Um I I wrote in my nose in caps like fish weasel romance with multiple question marks. And I (laughs) (laughs) this sounds a little bit less sad, but I think I I still if I were to read that, I think I would just be moved by the tragedy of this aquatic land romance that couldn't be. Also, I want to say another thing, which is we love all of our listeners, but we especially love our Patreon patrons and We've been trying out different rewards for our patrons, and one of them was a flashback, or this is flashback, a shout-out on the podcast, and you may be thinking, I have not heard any shout-outs, and you're right, it's (laughs) because we didn't have a good system for figuring out, like how to do it and so we have actually restructured our tiers and so shout out on the podcast is no longer a reward that you can get but we had a couple people that we owed shout outs to and one of them is red and you know we should be shouting out red anyway because red works as a nurse and that's so important always but especially now and red noted in his message that he kept wanting to use a shout out to remind people to do flu shots but couldn't figure out how to do it without sounding too preachy and i just want to say yeah preach get a flu shot i mean now i don't even know if you still can but like please if you can do anything proactive for herd immunity uh please do it please wash your hands please stay home please thank you (laughs) Yes, um,
0: <laughs> cosign all of that. Uh, and he did also a request that we tell people uh, thank you for staying inside, which thank you for us, for Red and his nurse colleagues. Uh, and uh, as, although, as he pointed out, um, our audience skews heavily towards people who are probably already doing the right thing. <laughs> so yeah. tell your friends. So, yeah, th-
1: keep it up. Um, and thank you again to red so let's you know what let's talk about some more books about animals or rather let's listen to more
0: listeners talking about books about animals um so the next two are both about the Redwall series by brian jocks i think it's jakes jakes i think you're right i think it is brian jakes despite the fact that i read a million of these (laughs) and i should know that
1: and i didn't read any of them (laughs) but we'll let, we'll let JJ and Ashley tell you about them instead.
6: Hi, this is SJ Jones. I go by JJ, and I'm the New York Times bestselling author of Winter Song and Shadow Song, and let me just say that it would be the highlight of my career for my books to be ripped to shreds on this podcast. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Just kidding. Please be nice. My feelings are fragile. Anyway, my pick for Flashback Summer would be the Redwall series by Brian Jakes, which is a series of books about a bunch of British woodland creatures, some of which that live in an abbey and are monks. And they're pretty much all the same, but I really, really enjoyed them. They're a lot of fun with a lot of different accents, especially the audiobooks read by Brian Jakes himself. Um, And a candy pairing that would go with this is probably an artisanal wildberry fruit tart with brushed honey crusts. I don't know if these actually exist, but they sound like something that would exist in these books because they have some of the most amazing food writing ever. Anyway, love the podcast. Thanks, guys. Hello,
7: my name is Ashley. Uh, I'm from Chicago. And uh, my favorite book when I was growing up, my favorite series was Red Wall. Um, it was about these mice and otters and hares that lived in the forest and fought against evil, which usually took the form of rats or stoats or weasels. Um, and it's very much a, you know, a battle of good versus evil. Uh, there's a lot of buckling, There's a lot of heroism. And there's a lot of, um, but there's also a lot of parties, which I think is my favorite part of the books. Uh, one thing that I really loved was the description of food in the books. And my understanding was that the author, Brian Jakes, he used all those descriptions of food because he used to work at a, a school for blind children. And so he would use the descriptions of food so that the kids could really understand what he was trying to portray. Um, there are There are quite a few of the Red books, and I think they're still a lot of fun to read. And they're they're pretty easy to find. And I always, uh, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be one of the hares and just eat a whole bunch of the delicious food that they described. Um, A candy that I would pair with this book is something kind of rustic. So maybe like some homemade fudge with some like um, candied fruit in it or um, even a little glass of cordial. They were always talking about cordial, and I didn't find out until much later that it was alcohol. Um, yeah, so uh, I recommend Red Wall to pretty much anyone who likes their swashes buckled. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Love you guys.
0: Um, so like both JJ and Ashley mentioned, the descriptions of food in these books, at least once per, I read a bunch of these books, as I just said, um, and at least once per book, there would be like a huge feast where they would talk in detail about all of the food that all of these little animals were eating. Uh, And that, too, is one of the things that I remember most about these books. I was very briefly obsessed with them, and now, as an adult, all I can remember is, like, the fucking food. Mm -hmm. So, here we are.
1: You know, Overdue also did an episode about Redwall, and they also talked a lot about the food. And I'm going to circle back and say that's one of the things I loved the most about the hashtag problematic little house books, was that they are constantly just tucking into pies in those books uh also i do want to mention that um jj you might know as sj jones the author of winter song and the sequel shadow song which are uh if you like like a gothic magical romance you should read those Cosine. uh also i'm so
4: like
1: mm, i'm so excited to have a few um few authors in here, like I tend not to interact with authors on Twitter just because I feel like I'm a little goblin and they don't need to know what my thoughts are even if I <laughs> like even if I like their books a lot, which I do like JJ's I'm like, no, people don't need to know that like I'll just keep this here. But um the but JJ's great and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast a little bit. And let's move on, I guess. Um because we do have a lot of books to share with you guys all right so next um we'll take a break with some books about humans well one book about humans (laughs) one book series about humans here we go it's from
8: liz Hi, my name is Liz, and I'm a listener from Austin, Texas. My favorite books from childhood were the Sunfire series of YA historical romances. These were like what you read if you were maybe three years too old for an American girl doll. All the books' titles were a girl's first name, and they were about how she lived through some significant time in American history and had to choose between two dudes to marry. Also, let's be clear, these were all white hetero people. These books were how I learned a lot of history. For instance, The Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, The San Francisco Earthquake, and in the book with my name, The Salem Witch Trials. My candy pairing for these books would be something appropriately old-timey and also a little sickeningly sweet like these books are, so I choose Saltwater Taffy. All
1: right, I have to say that I never heard of this series, and I think I would have loved it. Like, this description of if you were three years too old for the American Girls books. Yeah, like, I, well, during that time, I guess I was reading all the Anne Rinaldi books. Loved, I loved an Anne Rinaldi. And I I looked them up, they're out of print, and they were published in the 80s, so I guess I was maybe a little bit too young
0: for these, but they sound extremely like my shit. Yeah, I think we were right on the cusp because the first wave of American dolls happened right when we were prime American doll age. So by the time they got bigger, we had already I think aged out of American girl dolls, but we were there for the very the very start, which I think I know we've talked about before. So, oh, we will not talking No, I
1: mean I, I mean I think I'm too young for Sunfire.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if we were yeah, Because she was saying, if you're too too old for American girl, we were.
1: I was thinking like after the anyway. Let's move on. This isn't going anywhere. Yes, let's. let's... (laughs) Those sound fun. Um, Sorry to have missed them. Let's dip back into books about animals or clockwork animals. Anyway, with um with Genevieve's pick, The Mouse and His Child by Russell Hoban.
9: Hi, Kate and Renata. I love the podcast, I've been listening for years. Uh, My name's Genevieve, I'm from New Zealand, and one of my favourite books from childhood is The Mouse and His Child by Russell Hoban. He usually wrote for adults in the dystopian or magic realism genres, and this is a pretty grown-up children's book. It's about a clockwork toy mouse and his son and their search for a home and their determination to become self-winding, rather than relying on other people to wind them up and set their course. It gets into some pretty existential questions, and it's also pretty violent for a woodland creatures kind of story. At one point, mid-conversation, a frog who is advising the toy mice gets swooped down upon by a bird of prey and carried off. (laughs) Um, It was also the first book I remember where the issue of villainy wasn't clear cut. Manny Rat starts out as the obvious bad guy, then makes an apparent conversion to goodness while secretly plotting against them, and then finally becomes decent in the end spoilers, Uh, there's a lot going on. My candy pairing for this book would be treacle brittle, because it appears in the book, and because it's an old-fashioned sounding treat that isn't really a thing in New Zealand.
0: This is a series I had never heard of, a book I had never heard of before. I don't know if it's because it is not from around here, so it's entirely possible. But also, I was not a big animal or clockwork animal um, (laughs) book person. As a kid, probably unsurprisingly, if you know me now, so it's weird that I was so into Redwall because I was real into Redwall for a while. It's an older
1: book too. I looked it up. It's um, he was um, he was an American author, but he lived in the UK, and this book was written in 1967. So. Ah especially if you were not interested in animals slash clockwork animals, I can see where you wouldn't have sought it out. Um, I love hearing from an international listener though. It makes me feel so classy. Yeah. Um, so thank Thanks, you, Genevieve. Genevieve. And <laughs> <laughs> and let's let's move on to another American, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding, it's it's Devin who's a, who's been a great supporter of Worst bestsellers over the years and and he's got
0: a classic pick for us. Yeah, it's uh, Rink and Tink in Oz by L. Frank Baum.
10: My favorite childhood books, one of them, were the Oz books, the whole series of them. Uh, and the one I particularly remember as my favorite it's called Rink and Tink in Oz, which is kind of an odd one because it was not really set in Oz. Um, apparently, it was another book that Frank Baum had written that he just kind of, slapped an Oz epilogue on, uh, but that was the one that I used to get out of the library the most and I would take home and read. And, you know, as soon as I got home from the library I would read that one right away. And the snack that goes with it is and I remember this really strongly at well, I looked it up. It, it does turkey's Potato Sticks, which are may still be around under a different brand name. I really love those and I would make sure to get them when i had that book
0: did you read any of the wizard of oz books i ever? did i did not
1: um i the movie wasn't a big one in our household either like i've seen it like on tv but that wasn't one. i know some kids like watched it over
0: and over and that just wasn't it for us i did watch it over and over as a kid but as like a very young kid um like i don't actually remember it but i remember like my everyone in my fucking family is like oh yeah used to always make us put it on over and over again i didn't read any of the books though until i think i was in fourth grade and it was one of our um like in our reading program our curriculum um the wizard of oz was one of the books for the advanced reading class and i vaguely remember reading it but not super well and i never actually sought out any of the other ones
1: there were a lot
0: there were like 12 of them
1: well i'm glad i'm glad they were there for devin and also i love like those canned potato sticks and i would eat some right now if i had them (laughs) same all right uh let's move on and, and hear from a couple of our other fellow podcasters um catherine and melissa from the truer words podcast which i also recommend if you're into books and writing but let's let them tell you about their favorites. They've got a couple of classic picks.
11: Hi, worst bestsellers. This is Catherine, one of the co hosts of the Truer Words podcast, and I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My favorite childhood book is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle, which is the story of Meg Murray, who is sort of a bookish and eccentric 13 year old girl who is part of a family of scientists, and her father um, has gone missing. And over the course of the book, she has to travel through time and space to get her father back. This is a book that I have read probably at least 20 or maybe 30 times over the course of my life. And every time I read it, I just love it all over again. It's the book that taught me that it is a good thing not to fit in it's a good thing to be smart and stubborn and to not take no for an answer and it has one of the best first lines of any book ever which is it was a dark and stormy night which i just love so much so you've inspired me to go ahead and reread it for perhaps
12: the 31st time this summer thanks Hi, Worst bestsellers. I'm Melissa. I'm one of the hosts of Truer Words Podcast. I live in New York City. My favorite book from childhood is The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett, which is the story of Mary Lennox, who moves into her uncle's mysterious Misselthwaite manor after her parents are killed in a cholera epidemic in India. And Mary becomes obsessed with The Secret Garden that her uncle locked up after his wife passed away, and she discovers that the garden is not the only secret in the house. She also learns to care about people and about nature and brings the garden back to life. And it absolutely has some issues with colonialism and disability representation and whatnot, but I am a sucker for a poor little rich girl and an English manor house. And I really like that Mary is allowed to be a very, like, sour little girl. But she's so compelling right from the start. And, you know, they make it very clear that her parents neglected her and that nobody cared for her. And she learns to care for herself. And she learns to love herself. And once she loves herself, she can love others. And that's one of the lessons of the book and how we can rejuvenate things that you think are dead inside, basically. And here in in Central Park in New York City, there's a conservatory garden, which is the only English-style formal garden in the park, and there's a Burnett statue that is named for Francis Hodgson Burnett, and there are two children in the statue that are meant to be Mary and Dickon, and it's absolutely my favorite place in Central Park. It's so beautiful, especially right now. There are all these tulips blooming, and it's so beautiful, and... You know, I'm mostly cooped up because of the pandemic, but when I take a long walk and I go to the conservatory garden, it really is a reminder that things regenerate and that there will be life after COVID-19. So that is my pick, The Secret Garden. Thank you.
1: And these are two books. I Catherine has picked A Wrinkle in Time and Melissa picked
0: The Secret Garden. And I loved both of those books. Um, I The thing that I remember most about um, Wrinkle in Time, obviously classic, but uh, the thing I remember most about The Secret Garden is that they published those books with the necklaces and they did like The Secret Garden, A Little Princess, I think one of the Little House books, and it was just like a cheap paperback copy of the book, but it had like a cheap charm necklace with it. And I just remember seeing those at bookstores constantly as a child. And, and I'm still like sort of this way about things. Like I desperately wanted one, but I also did not care enough about any of those books to buy it. And if I wanted to get it, I wanted it to be something significant to me, which of course, like I liked such weirdo books that it was never going to happen. But <laughs> I was very envious of, of those.
1: Well, I liked the book, but I never got the necklace. But you know what? Now... There's Etsy, and we can get necklaces for whatever books we want. That is very true. What I remember most about The Secret Garden is when they they like bake potatoes and put the potatoes in their pockets to keep them warm, and then they eat the potatoes. I think what I'm learning is a lot of my childhood favorite books were just about food. And also, I would eat a baked potato right now if someone offered that to me. Um, also, I joined Melissa in having a a problematic fave, as I, as I mentioned, and I think, you know, we can acknowledge that and we can strive to do better, but also some of these books just have really good potatoes in them and other things as well.
0: All right, there's a lot of books, obviously, that we're talking about that um, we are familiar with, but there's also a bunch that we're not super familiar with. Um, so we're going to hear from a couple listeners, uh, Madeline and Lucy and Nora and Imogen and Joyce, uh, about books that were more or less totally new to us, at least totally new to me. No, to me as well. Yeah. Um, so let's hear what they have to say about uh, these perhaps not as well-known books. Yeah. So we're just going to play these through
1: um a few in a row just so you don't have to hear us keep saying yeah i haven't heard of that but that sounds cute but i will <laughs> say that um, lucy is another one of our beloved patreon patrons and she and her cat oberon are both Oda a shout out from us so i just want to say lucy great name for a cat first of all and thank you so much and now let's hear let's hear about the book that you like that we don't know what it is <laughs>
13: Hi, Kate and Renata. It's Madeline from Somerville, Massachusetts. My flashback summer book is Daddy Long Legs by Gene Webster, written in 1912. It's a story about Judy Abbott's experience at a women's college on the East Coast. My candy pairing for it has to be fudge, because I think they make it in the book, and historically, that's what women were making in college during this time. I love the podcast, thanks so much, bye.
14: Hello, worst bestsellers. This is Lucy in Campton, New Hampshire, and I'm here to reminisce about a porcupine named Fluffy. Is this a traditional flashback summer pick? No. No it is not. Was my fourth grade teacher embarrassed that her best reader insisted on naming a low-grade level picture book as her favorite on a questionnaire that was going in her permanent file? Yes, very much so. However, I was not a snob, and I recognized that Fluffy's vain plight to become Fluffy, and his acceptance of his lack of fluffiness achieved via friendship with a rhinoceros named Hippo, was poignant as fuck. Also, I thought the part where he covered himself in whipped cream was hilarious. So even though it's not a middle grade book, it was heartily enjoyed by this middle grade reader, and and it's my flashback summer pick. My candy pairing is, of course, a stick of rock candy covered in whipped cream. Thank you. Hi, Kate and Renata and Duarte. My name is Nora, and I live in Washington, D.C. My favorite book when I was a kid was My Father's Dragon by Ruth Stiles Gannett. I didn't have my own copy of the book when I was a kid, but my friend did, and I would always go over to her house to read the book. My Father's Dragon was published in the 1940s, although I read it in the early 90s, and it's about a boy who finds a cat that tells him where he can find a dragon. The boy goes to a secret jungle island where he's heard the dragon lives, and he has many adventures trying to get to the dragon. I loved this book when I was a kid because it has animals in it and it's a little absurd, and there's also a very cool map that shows the path the boy takes to get to the dragon and all the adventures he has along the way. Before he goes to the island, the boy packs a backpack full of a few random things he finds around his house, and on his adventures, each of those things comes in handy exactly one time, which makes the book feel a lot like a video game. It also has great illustrations of all of the animals. When rereading this book as an adult, there were a lot of things I didn't remember, like that the other animals on the island were very abusive to the dragon. Like with many books I read as a kid, some parts of the story had stuck with me for decades and others have been completely forgotten. My candy pairing for this book would be two dozen pink lollipops because that's one of the things that the boy brings with him to the island. The lollipops come in very handy when he needs to cross a river and can bribe two dozen crocodiles with lollipops to form a bridge he can walk across. Thanks for letting me share and for making a great podcast that I enjoy listening to a lot, and thanks to Duarte for being a good boy.
15: Hello from Oxford in England, my name's Imogen and I'd like to tell you about a favourite book from my childhood that I thought would appeal most to Duarte and you. Carbonell by Barbara Slay was first published in 1955 and I was really into it when I was eight and still am. It's the story of a girl called Rosemary who spends the last of her money on an old broom and an old cat. And, of course, it turns out that it's a magic broomstick and a magic talking cat called Carbonell. Carbonell is the exiled king of the cat kingdom. And Rosemary has to help him to defeat the witch who has enslaved him and to regain his rightful throne. Uh, it holds up very well for adult me. It's it's still very funny. Uh, it addresses issues of class and poverty. That's a very important Sherlock Holmes reference. And Carbonell as a character is delightfully pompous. My candy pairing would be an old-fashioned sugar mouse. This is Joyce Wilson in St. Louis, and my flashback summer pick is Humour,
16: Horror, and the Supernatural, a collection of stories by Saki, the pen name of British writer H.H. Monroe. This collection was published by Scholastic in 1972, and perhaps acquired by one of my brothers around then. Scholastic republished it in 1996 as Surprising Stories, 22 Tales with Twists. The stories are both grim and funny, and I love them. One of the perhaps better-known ones is *Shredny Vashtar, in which a frail and sensitive young boy's oppressive guardian is dealt with by one of the pets that he's been keeping in the garden shed. I still love these stories and enjoy listening to Richard Groes' audio versions. My candy pairing is toast with much butter, because that's what you have when you're a frail and sensitive young boy while the household is trying to think of a way to gently break the news to you that your guardian has been savagely killed in the garden shed.
1: Um, And of those, I do want to say, though, um, that, again, Imogen, um, thank you for calling in with your accent, for making your podcast sound just a little bit classier than our normal American trash. And I am obsessed with the casual way that you refer to an old-fashioned sugar mouse. And I don't know what
0: that is, but I want one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I uh, personally, I think I don't think I read the surprising stories version of humor, horror and the supernatural, but I feel like I maybe remember seeing it at like book fairs or something and like looking at it and almost buying it because I did as has been very much established on this podcast. I did like short stories that were creepy as a child and i think probably more than once i picked it up and paged through it thinking oh maybe these are ghost stories um because i can kind of see a cover in my head but uh i don't think i've ever read it
1: i was gonna say this does sound like your cup of tea like yeah. all of those things well i maybe guess have to...
0: just goes to show you you can't read can't read everything yeah seek it out now as an adult try that audio version out all right
1: So next up, we have Hallie with The Penderwicks. Let's let her tell us a little bit about that.
17: Hey, I'm Hallie from Seattle, Washington. My favorite childhood book series is probably The Penderwicks by Jean Birdsill. It's a little more modern because I'm still trekking through adolescence, but it's got that same good little Christian children feel as the boxcar children. It's four girls, and I'm convinced the second oldest is gay, which isn't canon, but I mean, it kind of is. Uh, The mom is also dead, so it almost meets that Disney criteria. Um, And it's a whirly-warm sweet read. And because of that, I give it a Reese's Cup as a candy pairing. Because I used to eat those like a monster as a kid. But now they don't feel so much like a whole meal. They're a little insubstantial. There's not a lot to unpack there.
1: All right. Mostly, Kate, I thought you
0: might... Have you read these? I haven't. um, I... I am familiar with them from my days as a bookseller, um, but I never actually read them myself. But I do love a fucking queer reading, of anything, as you know. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is a little bit newer. This came out past our childhoods, um, 2005 to be exact. Um, But, you know, you can still go back and read it and write your fan fiction. Yeah. All right. um, Next up, Sarah Merck, who is an author and writer who, A, I went to college with and B, uh, really love her work. Um, She's got a few picks and we're going to we're going to let her have that because because we like her.
18: (laughs) Hey, guys, this is Sarah Merck. I'm a writer and an artist. And you asked me to share my favorite book as a child. I have a bunch of answers for this, um, but I'll make it quick. First off, when if you had asked me what my favorite book was when I was eight years old, I for sure would have said The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. I love that book. I thought it was really deep and beautiful and sad um, and memorized the Robert Frost poem that they quote in it. Nothing gold can stay. Be cool, Pony Boy. Be cool. Um, when I was a little bit older, my favorite books were The Lord of the Rings series, which I got. Into very deeply. We're talking, I named all my stuffed animals after Lord of the Rings characters. I developed a recipe for the elven bread Lefsa. I did try to learn elvish um, and was like, spent basically all of my time online on Lord of the Rings message boards. Um, shout out to uh, the Inklings message board circa 1996. So, but these days I would say the book that I read as a kid that had the biggest influence on my life now is probably Amelia's Notebook by Marissa Moss. I don't know if you know this series, but it's wonderful. Marissa Moss is both a writer and an illustrator, and the books look like composition books um, that are filled with a girl's journal, just of her life, about her friends, about road trips, about her family, and it's a mixture of of like cute drawings and writing. It just looks like something that pretty much anyone could make. Like it wasn't uh, it, it didn't seem out of my league as a kid. So I started keeping a notebook just like it. So I did drawings and writings and wanted to make basically my own version of Amelia's notebook. And that's what I still do today. You know, 25 years later, um, I'm still mixing writing and drawing when, when I sit down to write and would love to make something as, as special and profound as Amelia's notebook. So thanks for asking and good luck with the podcast. All
1: right. All right. So these, um, it's an interesting range of like two very classic picks and then one Amelia's Notebook that I never heard of before.
0: Um, I actually, not as a, um, a I, I vaguely remember the existence of Amelia's Notebook from some point, if not, maybe not my childhood, but like being aware that it existed. Um, And I actually read a bunch of them when I was a bookseller because the graphic novel section was right next to our desk. Um, So on days when I was stuck at the desk, but bored, I would sometimes pull them off and page through them. Uh, And they're real cute. Yeah. Well, Sarah's zines are real cute. And I would recommend
1: you. um, She has a great Instagram follow. By the way, we should have said earlier, we'll link to everybody. Who has links on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com? But she's just at Sarah Merck on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and uh, as a bonus, she sent in a little bit from her cat, Ginsburg. So we'll, let's hear from Ginsburg. All right. Yeah. Ginsburg clearly a very um, educated, very well-read cat, and we love to hear
0: that. Yeah, always, always good to hear some uh, cat opinions on this podcast. You know, you don't want (laughs) to don't want to give Dwight too big of a head, thinking he's the only cat with literature opinions. Yeah, there's others.
1: All right, well, thanks, thanks everyone for those books. Uh, Let's let's move on to another animal book.
11: Hi, this is April from Brighton, Michigan. My favorite childhood book was Where the Red Fern Grows. I probably read it a hundred times. I got it in the Scholastic uh, Book Club flyers that we get. Um, I just remember reading it over and over again. It made me cry every single time. And to this day, I still Love um, those books best that make me cry and give me that catharsis at the end. And it just made me uh, the reader I am today.
1: This is one. um, April mentions crying from it. I remember this was a book that my fifth grade teacher read aloud to us like a chapter at a time. And our teacher would like... Make fun of people if they were crying about this book, and in retrospect, I'm like, "What? I don't like. What human could not cry at where the red fern grows?
0: Like, what were we supposed to understand from this?" I had like the exact opposite experience. Where um, first of all, despite the fact that I'm not super an animal person, I did read this and sob over it. Um, But it was a silent, independent reading when I was, I think, in seventh grade, and as people were finishing the book my teacher was like would stand at the front of the room and as like every student got to the really awful parts and would start like having like their lower lip quiver she would jump up from her desk grab the student and whisk them away into the hallway so they could cry in private (laughs) like literally it was like student
5: after student after student (laughs)
0: That's very funny. As we all like sobbed over this book, you know, which is like, I liked her a lot. She was a good teacher overall, but that is uh, a very fond memory from middle school Mm for me. See,
1: mine in retrospect, I feel like this is like a band men story for me because my fifth grade teacher was male, which I know it you know, there aren't as many male teachers for that age group, and I he had this kind of whole, like, gruff shtick, I guess, and in retrospect, maybe some of this was meant to be joking, but as kids, are just like, oh my god, like, this is terrible, please just let us cry, please. Yeah, that sounds pretty awful. Also, of course, others have mentioned this as well, but like, god, love a scholastic book fair, like, what an iconic... Just if you were a bookish kid, of course,
0: classic book fair, what could be better? Yeah, it was like, I remember to I, I may have told this story on the story on the podcast before. But um, when I was a kid, my parents had like a rule that like, they wouldn't buy us toys, except for like birthdays and Christmas and stuff. Like we had to use our own money for that. Um, but they would buy us as many books as we wanted. Um, Which I think when we were little and couldn't read yet, that was... Like, uh, like, oh, like, it'll be because kids don't like books. <laughs> and then they had me. <laughs> and eventually that policy was walked back. Um, but like, Scholastic Book Fairs were great because like, the the prices were so good mm-hmm. that for a kid, like, instead of being like, oh, like, I saved all my money, all my like $5 up to get like one Babysitter Club book, mm-hmm. like to go to the book fair and have, you know, $10 that you saved up for and to be able to walk out with like multiple books was just yeah. Get them, like get them beautiful box
1: sets, baby. Yeah, scented eraser. and a holographic <laughs> bookmark. Oh my god. <laughs> our our local bookstore, Porter Square Books, has started doing something called Scholastic Book Fair for Grown Ups, which I actually haven't been to yet because I, and partly because I'm like that is a cute idea, but there's no way you're really going to recapture the joy of this. I don't know. Maybe they do, and I don't know because I haven't gone, but. Yeah, I haven't gone for... Think, and of course, they're not doing this now, but yes, pre-COVID, yes. they were doing this thing.
0: Yeah, like as a as a person who mostly does audio now, like I, I don't like buying physical books unless I'm buying like a friend's book at their launch party or on their tour, um, just because I feel bad cluttering up my house with books that I am absolutely not going to open up mm-hmm. um, because I need to do the audio, but... But I do miss a, a scholastic book fair. Yeah, maybe maybe one day we'll
1: find happiness again.
0: <laughs> oh boy! So the next book that we're gonna uh, highlight is *The Westing Game* by Ellen Raskin, which two different listeners, uh, Megan and Ashley, both uh, called in to talk about. So let's hear what they have to say about it.
8: Hey, my name is Megan, longtime listener, first time video member recorder. Um, I'm from Portland, Oregon, spent about a decade living and working internationally and in New York, and you now I'm back in Oregon to wait this all out with the people I love. Um, my favorite childhood book was The Weston Game. As a kid, I really loved the puzzle aspect. And as an adult rereading it, I know that one of the things that people often critique about it as a work of literature is that the characters are all sort of chess pieces and they move wherever the author's puzzle needs them to go um but as a kid that was actually the thing that i loved most about it it all felt very soothing and very orderly and i identified with turtle the kid in her own little world who often had trouble connecting but had a few sort of odd duck often adult friends so my candy pairing is a mixed bag of candy that you select from one of those stores full of wooden barrels Um, it's like where you mix everything from fruit ribbons to weird chocolate covered malt balls together, put them in your cellophane bag and tie it up and pay by weight. Um, and then when you take it home and you eat it, you get to the bottom of the bag and you have like this weird mix of random chocolates covered in a dusting of sour sugar. So the Weston game was like that for me, a little bit of a lot of different characters that were funny and quirky and added up to more than the sum of their parts. Um, and also the book is nostalgic as is the idea of a business in which everyone's touching the same little metal scoops. Um, now it seems very fun and innocent.
16: Ashley here, currently living just outside Boston in lockdown. My favorite book as a kid was The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin, an eccentric millionaire, or maybe he's a billionaire. I don't know. It was before the, written before the 2000s, so I don't think there are a lot of billionaires. Um, but like, there's. Uh, this group of folks all go to live in this fancy apartment tower situation and this rich dude dies and it turns out everyone in the tower even though they don't think they know each other or related are all potential heirs to this rich dude but they have to solve a mystery in order to win the inheritance and it's this like big Mystery, there's adventure. But there are a lot of times I read it lots of times, but never picked up on this great naming wordplay. That's like a nice little bit of it. And my brother had to explain it to me, and I felt really dumb when he explained it to me because I thought it was very obvious once he told me. Uh this was my favorite book until probably middle school when I read the Tamora Pierce Alana books. Which, you know, it's a girl who goes undercover to train as a knight, there's adventure and romance, and it was probably the most erotic piece of media I consumed before I saw a fan of the opera freshman year of high school. It was very sheltered.
0: I have to say this was a favorite of mine as well. Um, I read it a ton of times as a kid. think I bought it from the Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> um. And uh, I was just, like, obsessed with the mystery, obsessed with the cleverness. Um, And kind of like Megan said, like, I can see how an older person might, like, look down their nose at how very obvious some of the puzzles are and how very obviously some of the things fit together. Um, But as a kid, like being able to sleuth through and figure out the clues was so exhilarating to me
1: yeah we, this actually the same fifth grade year that we read where the Red Fern grows and we're encouraged to stifle our emotions <laughs> we i that teacher also did some good things such as we read the westing game and it was like a big thing like i remember we all made these big posters of like each suspect and like kind of going through and like gather you know each like chapter by chapter gathering evidence and that was you know i still remember how much fun that was um yeah this is a great book i also want to say that um ashley mentioned that it eventually was supplanted as a favorite by uh tamora pierce's alana books and also the phantom of the opera and i'm a little surprised that uh no one actually called in about alana i Which are books, I never read any Tamora Pierce when I was a kid, but I know so many people loved her books, and I kind of wonder if all of you are like, well, everyone's going to call in about Tamora Pierce,
0: so I'll say something else. And then no one did. Now that you mention it, that is very surprising. Um, I thought you were going to mention her shout out to a fan of the Opera, uh, which I do think is something that all three of us have discussed in person uh, extensively, so yes i also
1: i also want to talk about that <laughs> obviously always
0: but instead maybe we should move on because we do have a lot of books that is true <laughs> um so let's skip ahead to a friend of the podcast meredith goldstein who uh has another classic bridge to terabithia by katherine Peters- Patterson.
19: My name is Meredith Goldstein, and I am from Maryland, but live in Boston, and I'm a big fan of worst bestsellers, by the way. And my favorite childhood book is probably Bridge to Terabithia, which is a classic. And the reason it was my favorite book was because it was the first book that made me cry. So for those who don't know, it's about a boy who meets a friend, Leslie, and they have this sort of eye-opening, world-expanding connection. And I will not give anything away, but tragedy does happen in this book. And it's the kind of of thing where you just wind up grieving a fictional character. And I think it was really the first time I had done that. And that was so important and monumental. Um, I will say that the book ends incredibly hopefully. And I love that too. So it's the kind of like hopeful life lesson I take with me now. Like I think about that book when I feel lost now. And now I'm getting all choked up. But obviously one needs to eat their feelings after a book like this. So my candy pairing would be cotton candy because that is my favorite candy. And I think that after reading a book like this, I would want to be sort of cocooned in cotton candy like it was a blanket um, supporting me. So I highly recommend that when you read Bridge to Terabithia or if you're revisiting it, you can sort of swaddle yourself in sugar because that would be my plan. Um two
1: things, in addition to being friend of the podcast uh mer and uh, meredith is also um the boston globe's love letters columnist and the author of the books can't help myself and chemistry lessons both of which are great and you should read them um and also probably read bridge to terabithia if you never have this is a book that i this destroyed me as a child like even more than where the redford grows my god
0: I think I didn't, which is so weird, because I am, like, as I have said before, I'm not like a huge animal person usually. As a kid, I was not a crier, really, a lot. I didn't really become a crier until college, uh, and I sobbed through Where the Red Fern Grows, and while I was very sad at Bridge Terabithia, I did not cry reading it. All right, well... People are different. People are different. It's fine. It's (laughs) fine. It's fine.
1: fine. We've Uh. established. (laughs) Let's move on. I'm depressed. Sorry. (laughs) Not at you. At
0: at Terabithia. Okay. Uh. So uh, next up, we have our. Uh, former guest and beloved DM from our Twilight D&D episode, Danielle, talking about the series of of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket.
20: Hi, I am Danielle from Philadelphia, previously on the Worst Best Sellers Twilight Eclipse episode. My book for Flashback Summer is the series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Um, I will stick to the first one because it is a 13 book series. And this is one of my favorite childhood reads because I would read these books over the summer when school was out and get into this world of these three children who just had all of these unfortunate events thrust upon them everything from their parents dying to an evil uncle trying to murder them. um, And just watching how they navigated through that um, because parts of my childhood were also unfortunate. Um, So yeah, really loved those books, even though I cannot remember them in my adulthood. My candy pairing for these books are Warheads because you... Start eating a warhead and you think, this is the most painful experience of my life. Um, and then you sort of start to get used to it. And then it gets sweeter. And then you pop another warhead in and you think, oh, God, no, this is painful. When will it be over?
1: I I love the series, too. I read them when I was in college. And because I'm older. But I it was... So funny to me, and so like just sort of delightfully meta and literary in a way that, especially uh, some friends and I read it there, and we were all like so stressed out from all of our classes that it was so nice to get into these books that you could just kind of polish off in an afternoon. And we petitioned to start a formal campus group for, um, what we call it VFD, which is the name of the secret society contained within the series of unfortunate events so that we could get an official campus email address that was just vfd at grinnell.edu, which we were really proud of, even though we didn't really do anything with it. It was just like, just like a really good achievement that we felt like we unlocked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am trying to remember if I started reading these because of you suggested them or if I just happened to be, I know that I borrowed them from my cousin um, who was of the middle grade age for these books when they were coming out. Um, but I, I think it might have been because you had recommended them so strongly that I, I picked them up and read through like, I think all all the first 10 or 8, 8 or 10 um, that were out at the time over a uh, school break and then went back to college and actually went to a signing for maybe the 10th book?
4: I don't yeah, remember. I remember
1: you got me, like, a signed postcard from uh, Lemmy yeah. Snicket, which I still have somewhere. I should mention Daniel Handler has, has made a few slightly hashtag problematic uh, moves in his day since then. But I still feel like these books are good, though. And they have, like, I, I don't know, the the moral of them is so to, to question authority that I feel like we can question Daniel Handler's authority while still appreciating Lemmy Snicket's works. Yeah. And you know who else we can appreciate? Anna and Martin.
0: We certainly can. Um, before we dive into the Babysitters Club, Megan is here with a different Anna Martin title Just a Summer Romance.
21: Hey, Kate and Renata. This is Megan, also known as Megs on Twitter. I live in Texas now, but I grew up in the Canadian East Coast of Nova Scotia. My flashback summer book is Just a Summer Romance by worst bestseller favorite, Anna Martin. Obviously, I got hooked on the BSC, as so many of us 90s tweens did, and when I was prowling the Scholastic Book Fair in 7th or 8th grade, I came upon this book. I picked it up 100% because it was the author I loved, and I swear I must have reread that book over 50 times. It's a teen romance between regular girl Mel and dreamy Justin, who turns out to have just been cast in a soon-to-be-incredibly-famous TV show. They have a lovely summer romance on Fire Island, which BSC superfans will remember as the background for at least one super special, if not several others. Then, once she returns home, she sees him on TV, and honestly, she can't even. It's adorable, and it probably paved the way for all the romance that I love now. My candy pairing for this book would definitely be one of those ice pops that come in a rainbow of colors, and they're basically just sugar water, but they remind me of being a kid when sugar water was kind of where it was at.
1: I hadn't heard it. I'm sure I would have liked this if I had read this. I did read a couple of Anna Martin's other non-babysitter's club books. The one about the family that had like 10 kids. I think it was called like Just the Ten of Us or something. Ten kids, no pets. There you go. But mostly... I want to talk about how Megan referred to sugar water ice pops. And I feel like what that kind of popsicle is called is like a hotly debated regional item. And I just want to come out as team
0: Otter Pops. Yeah, I was a team flavor pops as a kid, Mm -hmm. but I'm also, (laughs) you know, team soda and I come from a place where mischief night exists. So, mm-hmm.
1: I mean, sugar water ice pops is certainly the most um, accurate description. But. Yes. Um. All right. So then, um, I guess Baby Stars Club is another thing where we had two people pick that series. But I love so much that uh, these two callers have picked different books and gone into them with such specificity. And I feel like everyone who read Babysitter's Club would be able to like, with that amount of specificity, name their favorite one, which is, I don't know. It's funny because on one hand, the series is so formulaic. And yet, I don't know, for me, it was definitely the super special where they went to camp.
0: How about you? Um, For me, I think uh, it was probably the mystery Christie and the Haunted Mansion. The all sounds on brand <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's let's
1: let Liz and Courtney tell us about their favorites and um, Liz, by the way, is another one of our patreon patrons, Patreon Patrons, who is super great and is owed a shout out for supporting us. So shout out to Liz and let's let's hear about her favorite baby club book. Hi,
22: my name is Liz Harveteen one of my favorite books when I was a kid was Babysitter's Club, number 21, Mallory and the Trouble with Twins. I loved all the Babysitter's Club books, but I this one was my favorite partially because I think it was the first one I actually owned a copy of. Before this, I had only taken them out from the library. and But also... I always really identified with Mallory. We both had curly hair. We both had glasses. We were both the oldest of, I was the oldest of four siblings, not eight, but still, uh, I, I felt a kinship with her. And there was just something about this book that got me so excited. There's, it's about, um, Mallory starts babysitting for twin girls named Marilyn and Carolyn. And they're a handful but eventually, Mallory discovers that part of what what was making these girls act up is their parents were forcing them to dress alike and act alike. And they really just want to express their different personalities. So um, there is a great scene in the book where Mallory gets to take them on a shopping spree. And my nine-year-old mall-loving self really got a charge out of that every time, and like the different outfits that they picked out, Mallory even like gets a little makeover in this one or she gets her hair cut, and it's great i <laughs> i like I remember reading it and just getting so excited about that scene every single time i i can't do a candy pairing for this what i what I think everyone needs when they read this book is some sort of magical like hair serum that will cause your naturally curly hair to become less curly and more relaxed when you get it cut short which is what Mallory's hairdresser tells her will happen in the book and is definitely not a thing that happens in real life.
1: I I love someone who can identify with Mallory. I think that takes like such um, like I think you have to have a really strong sense of
0: character to identify with Mallory. I agree. Um, I whenever I think about Mallory. i think about something that i believe it was uh jen who was on our show to talk about the babysitters club uh, a few years ago who had said that she felt like anna martin was a mallory who wanted to be a marianne mm. and i feel like that is such a great description of so many of us. I mean, I never wanted to be a Marianne. Um, I wanted to be a Christie, and I, we've talked about this before. I mm-hmm. absolutely was not a Christie when I was a kid, and I absolutely am a Christie now. Mm-hmm. The
1: secret works. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I identify with Liz's
0: desire for a magical hair serum. Yes, um, and as a fellow curly-haired gal, uh, I'll say too. If you, in your quarantine time of need, have decided to hop on the sourdough bandwagon. Uh, you should check out liz's instagram which we'll link to um along with every all the other, these other lovely listeners who gave us uh, stuff to link to um because she's real good at it
1: yeah
0: all right and now i'm super excited about um our next
1: caller is courtney summers the author whose books i've talked about so many times and let's hear what <laughs> courtney's favorite baby stars club book is
23: hi my name is courtney summers i'm an author based in canada and one of my favorite books from my childhood was babysitters club super mystery number two babysitters beware and the babysitters club super mysteries were a much more deluxe version of the babysitters club mystery series and the stakes were so much higher and in babysitters beware the babysitters club members find themselves stalked by a not very nice person from their past and it gets really creepy and it left such a huge impression on me and i actually think it was sort of a gateway into my love of all things scary movies and and sinister and ominous tales that explore real world threats like i owe that to anna martin so thank you anna martin and um a candy that pairs really well with it or at least a sweet treat is hot cocoa and marshmallows because the book takes place in the winter and they go to Shadow Lodge and or Shadow Lake in the Lodge there. And they they just, you know, it gets all blizzardy and snowed in and it's just so it's such a good, cozy, scary read, and, and I loved it. I loved it so much. It was very treasured for me because it scared it scared the daylights out of me.
1: All right. This I love this. This adds up so much that Courtney would pick the scary mystery one and um By the way, Courtney's upcoming book that was recently announced is called The Project, and I'm excited to read it. Excited and scared. Um, Previously, her most recent book was Sadie, which I know we talked about in the podcast many times, and we both loved it so much. And I mentioned earlier that I rarely like to interact with authors on Twitter, but I... I love Courtney so much that I ha- she does follow me on Twitter because I tweeted at her too many times. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I saw one night, it was like midnight, and she was like shit posting at Jurassic Park. And I was like, you know what? What if I just slid into Courtney Summers' DMs and asked her to do this? And she did it. And I, <sighs> my God, like, what a highlight. What a highlight of my
0: life. <laughs> It is very exciting to have her even in this capacity on the podcast. Um, And it's also exciting to me. I was obviously I was obsessed with Babysitter's Club as a kid, um, but also obviously I was obsessed with mysteries and creepy things. So when the Babysitter's Club mystery line started it was like my birthday every day like the idea that they were doing a series that was just the creepy mysteries and ghost stories with the babysitters club was all my dreams come true and i absolutely remember this book and loved it and i think actually i still have a copy of it somewhere (laughs) i
1: i don't know if i read any of the mystery ones i remember seeing them and being like babysitters what oh no where's the regular ones <laughs> <laughs> and that's great it's great that there's books for all kinds of readers
24: <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> now here's Celia with a book um that I had never heard of before but it sounds kind of like my jam and also Celia emailed us afterwards to say that uh, in her recording she mistakenly said that the illustrator was the author so the author is named Amy Hest, and the illustrator is named Sonia Limet. Um And they together wrote and illustrated the book The Great Green Notebook of Katie Roberts, and here's what that's about.
13: Hi, my name is Celia Cleveland, and I'm from Tennessee. It's the long-ago year of 1999. The place? Miss Cogan's fifth-grade classroom. I am freshly 10 years old and decide to ask my mom to order a book for me from the Book Fair preview catalog. A book about a girl a couple years older than me, but at age 10, the 7th grade sounded so much more grown up. Indeed, the exploits of one Katie Roberts in The Great Green Notebook of Katie Roberts, who just turned 12 on Monday, are so relatable to tiny me that I don't even care that it takes place in the even older old times of post-World War II. From best friend drama, mean girls, baby brothers, to begrudgingly befriending the new kid, Katie's story feels timeless and exactly like reading notes from a friend, despite the sprinkling of details that reveal its setting. Hers was a world I would revisit many times afterwards, and I will always be grateful to her and to the author Sonia Lamut hope I'm pronouncing that right, for getting me into reading. My candy pairing for this book would be some form of delicious pie, as Katie and her mom stay up late eating pie or any sort of original flavor bubblegum, because I could not get enough of that as a kid. And by the way, I just want to say that Celia sounds so cute. Just
0: sounds like a cartoon character in the best way. I was about to say that, uh, shout out to Celia for being absolutely delightful in her recording was excellent. And by the way, further shout out to Celia
1: for being one of our Patreon patrons, and Also for sending us these um, Build-A-Bear Wolverine bears that I don't know if we ever like put them on our social media or anything, but we we should because they're cute. And um, yeah, we
0: we took pictures when we that night that we watched Dark Phoenix, didn't mm, we? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't um, podcast related. That was just our own personal bad choices.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we did. Maybe we just send them to her. Maybe we did nothing with them. Anyway, thanks, Celia.
0: We did drink a lot that night. We did drink a lot that night. (laughs) You couldn't go home. (laughs) We had to watch the fucking, um, the movie, the
1: V.C. Andrews movie. We did, yes, we watched the V.C. Andrews movie so I could sober up. Yes. Drink responsibly, and actually, don't go anywhere, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) 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 i guess that's the bright side you don't need to drive anywhere so you don't need to worry about being sober (laughs) (laughs) anyway let's let emma tell us all about a book series that's extremely near and dear to my heart i think this is the only one that we actually well baby stars club also but um we have previously done a flashback summer episode all about but you know what i'm never tired of talking about the animorphs so tell us about it emma
25: My name is Emma, I'm calling from Provo, Utah, and my favorite book series as a young kid was the Animorphs books by K.A. Applegate. If you don't know, it's about five teenagers who are given the power to shapeshift into different animals, including various types of cats, in order to fight against the Yerks, which are an invading alien species that can crawl into your brains and take over you. So they use this power um, to try to stop the invasion from spreading, uh, to try to rescue people in their lives who've been taken over and for various high school hijinks. Uh, My fourth grade teacher read these books to us after a recess every day and I became obsessed. I had a running playlist in my head of the songs I would include on the soundtrack for the hypothetical movie. I uh, would name the chess pieces <laughs> after different characters and play my chess games uh, according to uh, various battles, try to map that out. Yeah, I just love these books. It was one of my first experiences with high school romance, um, which I was really drawn towards, uh, especially Considering how these relationships kind of crossed um, race and class lines, um, and discuss that a little bit. And yeah, these books were a lot of fun and also really sad (laughs) and depressing, as they got increasingly more um, about trauma and PTSD um, and kind of dealing with these really difficult things. Uh, For my candy pairing, I would say Sour Patch Kids, um, but in reverse. So first they're sweet and then they're sour because, again, they start off pretty fun um, adventure stories and it's all about turning into different cool animals. um, And then by the end, you know, everybody is dead or has lost or is broken in some irreparable way.
1: Yeah. Um, these books slap. They are so, they go so hard, start to finish. Well, some of the ones in the middle actually don't go that hard. And they're kind, <laughs> of, kind of filler books. But overall, great series. Obsessed with it. Go back and listen to episode number whatever when I talked about it at length in the past. I think was it our first Flashback Summer book? It was one It was definitely in in the first of the Flashback Summers. Yeah. I don't know what order. So, it was
0: Baby Stars Club. Uh <laughs> next up is another one of my personal favorites. And we're going to listen to Becky tell us about The Dollhouse Murders by Betty Renright.
26: Hello. Becky Mahoney here. And for my Flashback Summer, I'm going to be talking about The Dollhouse Murders by a middle grade queen of suspense, Betty Ren Wright. Uh, the Dollhouse Murders follows Amy, who is staying with her aunt and is being haunted by this dollhouse in the attic that is reenacting her great-grandparents' murders. And through these reenactments, Amy eventually determines that the murderer is not who her Aunt Claire thinks it is. Her Aunt Claire thought it was her fiancé. Um, But through these reenactments, Amy starts to pick up clues as to the real killer. So the reason I loved this book so much was it really showed me that everything horror could be. It was absolutely terrifying, had this really compelling central mystery, and not only was Amy able to lay the ghost to rest, but also she got to sort of confront her Aunt Claire's past trauma around her grandparents' murders and thinking that she was responsible. Um, Now I really wanna reread it. Uh, So my candy pairing for this would be a Bullseye or a Mary Jane or anything that you would get from an old-timey penny candy store. um, Because it's a great little throwback, much like the dollhouse itself. And they're perfect to eat when you're solving a decades-old mystery. Have a great summer, everybody. Bye-bye. I was so into
0: Betty Renright. Everything about about this episode is basically just me talking about how me I was as a child. <laughs> um, some of my other favorite Betty Renwright uh, books would have been um, The Ghosts Beneath Our Feet, The Ghosts in the Attic. God, what else? I think uh, The Ghost Witch and The Ghost Come Calling were maybe her. Um, and Haunted Summer was her. Um, basically, just a lot of a lot of ghost adjacent uh stuff that i ate up anything with her name on it was a, an immediate her and um vivian van veld anything with their names on it i was like no i need this from the library right now
1: i i don't think i ever heard of her until actually maybe until we started thinking of titles from flashback summer and you were like oh we should do a benny red right book and i was like who and then we didn't <laughs> do one I should mention also that Becky is the author of the upcoming in the fall book, um, the Valley and the flood.
0: Yes. And you absolutely should go pre-order that right now because Becky is incredible. And I'm so excited for this book to be in the world. Um,
1: it's, it's by Rebecca Mahoney, which is her full name. You can't just ask for a book by Becky. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, you could probably someone figure it out anyway. That's Becky. Let's move on to, um, to frankly, another book I'd never heard of, but it sounds fun, and it's from Jess.
27: Hi there, my name is Jess, I'm from Atlanta, and my favorite childhood book was The Moor Child by Eloise McGraw. The story follows a young girl named Sasuke who is a changeling. She was originally one of the fair folk, but when the other fairies discovered she couldn't do certain types of magic, they exiled her. They actually turned Sasuke into a baby and swap her out for a human child. And as Sasuke grows up, the story goes on, she loses her memories of being a fairy, and she ends up being a very strange young girl. And she has to deal with bullies and mean adults and learning to accept herself and she eventually decides to go and rescue the human child she was swapped with and the adventure goes on from there. It's really good and the dedication tells you everything you need to know because it's dedicated to all children who have ever felt different and it's great and I hope some of y'all will read it and enjoy it.
0: Yeah I had never heard of this one either um but it does sound great uh, and I do love a changeling story, although, uh, predictably, usually my changeling stories are a little bit on the creepier side. Uh, but a good, a good happy changeling story is not bad either.
1: It reminded me of a book that, that I was severely into as a kid. It was called The Fairy Rebel by Lynn Reed Banks, uh, who also wrote the Indian in the Cover books. We don't have time to get into those, but um, <laughs> this was uh, separate and uh, just I just really, really fun. If you like fairy... T- If you liked The Moor Child, you probably also would like The Fairy Rebel, it sounds like.
0: And uh, next, we're going to touch upon another foundational book of mine. Josie is going to tell us about Annie on My Mind by Nancy Garden.
24: Hi, guys. This is Josie from Colorado. I wanted to thank you so much for the podcast and to talk about a book for Flashback Summer This book is more of a teen book than a kid's book, but it was really important to me and I wanted to talk about it. In 1995 or 1996, I was 15, 16, and I read Annie on My Mind by Nancy Garden. This book is a story um, of two girls who live in New York City that fall in love. They're both 17, Annie and Liza. It was such an amazing book to me as a queer kid who wasn't out, who didn't know anyone else who was gay. And it was really important to me. And it holds up. I read it again a few years ago and I'm almost 40. It's still a great book. Highly recommend it. So I wanted to just talk about how important queer fiction is, especially for young adults.
0: Uh, I actually didn't read this book until I was maybe a sophomore or junior in high school. Uh, My girlfriend at the time sent it to me in a care package, and I had never heard of it before, and I read it in, like, one night and cried my eyes out, Um, and I still have that exact same copy, Um, and I've read it many times since then, and like Josie said, like, I feel like it really... Uh, holds up now, even though, luckily, happily, we're at a point where there are many different types of queer stories. Uh, Unfortunately, we are still sometimes at a we're still frequently for many people at a point where uh, not all of those are totally happy all of the time. Uh, And I I do love that this book ends very hopefully, um, which especially for the time period, Feels kind of shocking now to like there. There are books now that don't end as well for the queer characters as this one does, and if you haven't read it, I absolutely re- recommend checking it out. If you're into that sort of thing, uh, it's really lovely. Nice. So the next uh, next entry that we have into this episode is from Page, uh, and it's the A to Z Mystery series. So let's take a listen as to why Paige loves those.
17: Hello, my name is Paige. I'm originally from Maine, but I'm recording this from Jordan, where I've been traveling. Um, One of my favorite series growing up was the A to Z mystery series by Ron Roy. Um, They have, like, special editions and stuff, but the original series was 26 books, and each book in the series had an alliterated title for a specific letter of the alphabet. So book one was The Absent Author, book two was The Bald Bandit, book three was The Canary Caper, and so on. And they were just, like, cute little books about these three kids solving mysteries. Um, And I remember just devouring them as a kid. I could probably read one in about 20 minutes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were cute. Um... I think my sort of candy pairing for it would be, like, those pouches of Capri Sun because, like, you start it, and it's, like, sweet and it's good, but all of a sudden, like, before you know it, it's over, and you kind of want another one. They're really easy to just, like, keep sort of going through tons and tons of them, Um, but also the contents is, like, kind of a mystery. You can kind of guess what's inside, but you don't exactly know, and then when you find out, it's, it's not that scary.
0: These, I think, were a little after our time. Um, I remember, once again, uh, selling them as a bookseller, um, but they were not not something that I ever picked up or was aware of as a kid.
1: Nope, same. But I do love a Capri Sun, though.
0: I do. I miss the adult Capri Suns at uh, Double Chin in Chinatown. I miss Double Chin. <sighs> yeah one day one Uh, day we'll go back (laughs) and drink an entire watermelon's worth of alcohol oh my god
1: (laughs) that was fun though uh but instead let's listen to laura um a, a previous guest on multiple episodes um tell us about her childhood favorite the girl with the silver eyes by willow davis roberts
28: hey kate renata it's laura a book that was super memorable for me as a kid, which I don't think I've heard mention of since, was The Girl with the Silver Eyes by Willow Davis Roberts. Uh, I absolutely loved Willow Davis Roberts and like devoured all of her books, uh, like The View from the Cherry Tree, uh, Don't Hurt Laurie. Uh, but The Girl with the Silver Eyes was my absolute favorite of hers. Uh, it's a story about the girl with the silver eyes, uh, who also has, I think, silver hair and glasses and basically... She's a big weirdo and she feels alienated from her parents and the people around her. And over the course of the book, she discovers that she's not weird. She's special. Uh, And she has uh, superpowers. I think she has telekinesis and she can read minds and she discovers there are other kids who also have silver eyes and magic powers and uh, eventually meets more of them. And it ends with, like, uh, the kids getting together and there's sort of a sense that they're going to go form, like, an X-Men superhero team or, like, solve world problems. Uh, but you don't really see that. Uh, it's it's basically just about uh, her, like, journey of discovery. Uh, but as a kid, I found this book uh, super relatable and was extremely into it. Uh, it also introduced me to another author because early in the story, uh, the girl and her mother go to visit like a neighbor. And uh, of course, uh, she is too smart to be interested in like boring adult small talk. So she goes over and is looking at the neighbor's bookshelf and she takes the book Slaughterhouse-Five down and is looking at it. And the neighbor comes over and like snatches it out of her hand and says, no, 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 no. that book's not appropriate for kids your age. And as a kid that age reading this book, I was like, why? What? What's in that book? Why can't you read that? So, of course, I went and found Slaughterhouse-Five and read it myself and was introduced to Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and I distinctly remember that, like, in the very first chapter, I learned the word motherfucker. So it probably was true that it was not appropriate for a kid my age, but uh, also super formative for me.
1: By the way, Laura forgot to mention in her recording her candy pairing, but she said um, if I email later that it was nerds because this girl and her friends were nerds. And I I like the simplicity of that. And I also love this book. I just remember getting it from one of those spinny racks at the library. But unlike Laura, I didn't know this author wrote any other books because they were not on the spinny rack.
0: I have never heard of this one, which
1: is weird because it does sound like it would be at my alley it's very Um, like proto x-men i mean it came out after x-men but i think i discovered it before i discovered x-men so in my head it's like yeah anyway i also love that it introduced laura to slaughterhouse 5 which (laughs) (laughs) i have to imagine was not the intended effect but man i also love slaughterhouse 5
0: yeah that's a good book too uh, so next up, we have a the first, the only one I would say so far that has made me um, feel like the uh, I'm the Crypt Keeper gift. <laughs> uh, <which> yeah, is-
1: <laughs> this is definitely a childhood favorite that I read in grad school when it was a when it was a cool new book. When I was in grad
0: school. <laughs> yes. Um, this is uh, Leviathan by Scott Westerfeld, and uh, Ben is going to tell us about it.
2: I'm Ben Costa from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and my favorite book from my childhood is Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan. It's set in an alternate history version of World War I, where the Central and Allied powers are replaced by clankers and Darwinists, respectively. Clanker countries are full of steampunk walkers, while Darwinists use genetically modified creatures to accomplish the same tasks. The story follows two characters, Darren Sharp, a swashbuckling British girl who disguises herself as a boy in order to enlist on the Leviathan, a living airship, and Alec, the disinherited son of Archduke Ferdinand, who is fleeing from the war. This book has awesome world building, great characters, and some really nice illustrations if you read it in paper. My candy pairing for this book is warm Cadbury cream eggs, but you'll have to read to find out why.
1: Also, by the way, I don't I I mean, sometimes I feel like when people are like, "Oh, you read that when you were a kid? Like you're so young." Like it can come across kind of mean and like, I don't know, of course you can't help what age you are. It's it's purely a commentary on us reflecting on the passage of time and not like, "Oh, you're a baby." Yeah, but-
0: absolutely. Uh, Also, you have great taste. It's great taste. Yes. uh, No, no, no shame to you, Ben. Live your life. Also, there's nothing wrong with being old. Yes. And we're also, we're like,
1: not that old. But I am old enough that like, I read all of these and then um, Ben's candy pairing is warm Cadbury cream eggs, but you'll have to read it to find out why. And like, I did read these, but it was a long time ago when I was in grad school, a long time ago. <laughs> and I don't remember. I, this reference does nothing to me. So maybe yeah. I'll have to reread these.
0: Um, I read these when they were, when I was uh, selling books after college. Um, I think I actually still have the first one. Cause I think I bought it from the bookstore um, which was wild because normally I uh, would the bookstore had a, a uh, program for employees where you could take um, new hardcover releases home to read as long as you brought them back in good condition uh, but this one I actually purchased um, I will say if you're interested in these the
1: audiobooks are read by Alan Cumming who A. I love and B. it just is an extra fun touch for the audiobooks but the print books do have cool illustrations so like either way yeah you're a winner no matter what either way correct um and you know what you know how else is a winner is kelly who has another great pick with ella enchanted by gail Carson levine and um let's let her tell us about that
29: hi kate renata duarte and all best listeners i'm kelly and i'm from denver and for my flashback summer submission i'm going to suggest my absolute favorite childhood book Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. I think it's pretty well known, but if you've never heard of it, it's a retelling of Cinderella, and the twist is that Ella is under a curse of obedience. So anytime someone gives her a direct order, she has to obey. And even though this is the setup, Ella is very independent and has an amazing amount of plot agency. So back when I was a wee baby, this book was about the most magical and profound and empowering thing I'd ever read. And it was also my first case of adaptational denial because there absolutely was not a stupid, dumbed-down, dorky movie with Anne Hathaway in it. Nope, I, I don't recall this thing ever existing. Uh, for a candy pairing, I'm going to go with cake. I seem to recall a lot of cake in this book, partially because it's a fantasy book but there's also one scene where Ella accidentally gets ordered to eat cake and she keeps going and can't stop until she gets sick. So I don't want anybody to get sick. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and specify that my answer is actually Little Debbie zebra cakes. They're a nice small size. You can eat quite a few of them without getting sick. And I almost definitely was eating them back in the day when I read this book 700 separate times.
0: So I love this book. I love Gail Carson Levine. I am a movie apologist, though. Yeah. I do love this movie. Not as an adaptation of Ella Enchanted, the book. You need to kind of think of it as an entirely separate. um, It's like an AU. Yes. But, like, as a standalone movie uh, by itself, which I only um, saw for the first time because Anne Hathaway was, like, one of my first huge celebrity crushes, like, the first person mm-hmm. who I was like, I'm going to watch every movie this person has done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I got it from, I guess, Blockbuster probably back then. Um just for crush purposes, and I loved it so much that I ended up buying the DVD, and for a long time it was a, like, solid depression movie for me. Like, this and Josie and the Pussycats were what I watched when I was real sad. Speaking of Alan Cumming, Coming, that's not a book, but it's great. It is true. It It is. It's Um, not a book, but it is
1: great. I mean, I guess technically Josie and the Pussycats is a comic book. But anyway, (laughs) um, yeah, the movie, it's very, it doesn't have the same, like, um like subversiveness maybe as the book or it's not it's not as maybe tightly plotted as the book but it's so fun like that scene where they're singing don't go breaking my heart in the tavern or what? like it's
0: it's so fun it's just a fun movie (laughs) it's a very good movie and Hathaway is very pretty in it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um um So let's let's close out um, our our guest input, our Mm -hmm. call in portion of the episode um, Mm -hmm. with some other uh, excellent book podcast hosts who we are very privileged to call our friends. Uh, And that is the guys from I don't even own a television.
1: Yeah. So um, they've recorded separately and they have kind of um, slightly different feels. So we'll but we'll just play them both back to back so you can pretend like they're on their podcast, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Here they are.
30: (laughs) My name's Chris Collision, and I don't believe I've ever specialized in good books. If I were to illustrate that point, I would ask you to set your time machines to 1990 or thereabouts, and I would beg you to set your phasers to emotionally generous zoom in on a red-headed kid with horrible scarring acne and a seven dollar bowl cut his primary interests are loud guitars philip k dick and what little french poetry he can find in translation at the bookstores at the mall closest to his house in aurora colorado his primary occupation at any given time is high school theater sometimes he gets a part but he almost always has lights to hang after his longish school days He mostly hides in his room, a basement affair, with beige carpet, a boombox, and a lot of tapes, and a brawn coffee maker his parents gave him to keep him from having to come up to the kitchen and drink theirs. At this time, he has roughly $20 per month of spending money. At the grocery store, there are three kinds of jelly beans. He loves jelly beans. There's the expensive kind, with a brand name the second kind costs a dollar nine and there are colors on the bag and not all the flavors taste like chalk dust the third kind costs 95 cents and the bag is black and white and all the flavors taste a lot like chalk dust that's the kind he always buys so he buys a bag of jelly beans and makes a pot of coffee And puts on Jimi Hendrix or ACDC or Voivod or Joe Satriani. And he grabs a paperback he's had for years. Thieves World. And he settles in for a Saturday night of reading an anthology of short stories in a shared fictional D&D-like universe. Where the tavern is called the Vulgar Unicorn. And he flips to re-re-read a story. And he knows he has that, at least. And honestly... It's not that bad.
31: Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Jay uh, from the I Don't Even Own a Television podcast hailing from the Golden City, San Francisco. And uh, I've been asked to tell you about my first favorite book. And for me, it totally was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Uh, I discovered it when I was eight or nine, because my mom was also really into it. And we were very close. Uh, We had real similar senses of humor at the time. And uh, I think, you know, I read it right after she finished it. Uh, I loved The action, the adventure. I really loved the dry wit in the comedy. And I think I also loved having this special secret language with my mom that you know most of the world didn't really understand at that point. If I had to pick a candy pairing to go with it, it would probably be Swedish Fish because if you put them in your ears, you just might be able to understand a different language. But um, yeah, check that out if you haven't already, which I'm sure you have. And big ups to worst bestsellers. Uh, Thanks.
1: So I love um for, I had never heard of any of the book or the series of the authors. Like I didn't know any of what Collision was talking about in terms of the book. But
0: I just love like the world building of this call. like it it was excellent. <laughs> um, it really took me back. uh. And I also was unfamiliar with the book, but it was a delight to hear about it and to hear a little slice of uh, what uh, his life was like at the time when that book was meaningful to him.
16: Yeah.
0: And um, similarly, uh, I also was a person who discovered Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was around the same age as Jay. Um, And I love that book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, I still read it once a year around towel day, which is going to be it'll I think I can't remember what the published schedule for this episode is, but I think it'll it's June 8th. Okay, so it'll already be passed by the time um, we publish this. But when we're recording it, it hasn't quite come yet. And especially it was incredibly sweet to hear, um, you know, about this thing that he shared with his mom.
24: Yeah, well.
0: I've said it before,
1: and I'll say it again. Books are great, except for when they're not. (laughs) Um, And of course, we have one last very special guest, um, and that is my cat Duarte is going to tell us about his favorite childhood book. So as I'm sure you heard him say, um, although maybe you don't speak Spanish, I don't know, Duarte's childhood favorite book is Crepusculo by Stephanie Meyer, which is the uh, Spanish language translation of Twilight, because uh, I'm sure that I've mentioned this at some point in the podcast, but it's maybe been a while, and you know, people will on social media sometimes ask me about Duarte's name. And um, so Duarte is named for Juan Pablo Duarte, who is kind of one of the main founding fathers of the Dominican Republic. And so, um, like, all their streets and parks, like, everything in the DR is named um, after Duarte. And I acquired Duarte as a pet when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Dominican Republic. I did literally find him in the garbage. He is literally (laughs) my little trash baby. (laughs) But um, since since uh i was in the dr it just felt appropriate to also name my cat after duarte because that's that's the thing to do when you're in the dominican republic is name something after duarte <laughs> and so because of that you know duarte is um spanish he's from a spanish-speaking country and i did i read the toilet books in english when i was in peace corps as i have mentioned before but i also got a spanish language copy of the first one to try to read to practice my spanish and so duarte was exposed to that at an early age and i'm sure it really um influenced him to the reader that he is today thanks duarte yeah thanks for sharing that little memory my little a little trash baby <laughs> all right and thank you again to everyone who's called in thank you also to all of our patreon patrons patreon patrons that phrase is hard to say um including a couple more who we would like to give specific shout outs to which is miriam who listens on her commute to the library except for hopefully now she's staying home and listening
0: uh also we have remy who uh believes that we owe a shout out but also profoundly does not care about it so here you go anyway remy yeah here you go anyway
1: by the way. Remy lives in Louisville, and I just want to say to anyone who lives in Louisville, Kentucky, that when restaurants open back up again, uh, you should please go to feast and please eat some tater tots and get a bourbon slushie because I miss going to feast so much, so much. What a good restaurant. I, God, I hope it reopens after all of this. Please keep feast in Louisville, Kentucky in your prayers, and please go there if you are able <laughs> Um <laughs> And finally, another shout out to um, our listener, Joe. And if you would like to become a Patreon patron, God, why do I keep saying this phrase that's so hard to say? As I mentioned before, we're doing away with shout outs on the podcast because as you can hear, we're not good at it and it seems a little awkward. But instead, um, we're one of the things you can get is a postcard with a photo of Duarte, which obviously everyone would like to have in our home. So, uh,
0: if... If so you want one of those, sign up on Patreon. Yes. Um, and also, well, first of all, thanks for listening to and thanks for sending sending in your calls and submissions. Um, it was great. This was honestly delightful to listen to. Uh, and I, I loved it. Uh, and I don't know that we mentioned that part of the reason why we did this is because we're tweaking the setup of Flashback Summer a little bit we have reached a point where we're like, well, we we feel like we've covered a lot of books that we personally, like, think of as, like, standards. When we first started this, we were thinking mostly of series books and books written by committee uh, that we would cover. And then it kind of drifted into other things that um, folks would suggest, and maybe only one of the three people on the episode will have ever heard of it before. Um, so we we decided that maybe that was the way to go. So instead, this summer, we'll be asking back um, some past guests and some new guests to come on the show and talk about exactly what we're talking about here. Um, one of their favorite books as a child, why they liked it, uh, you know, and we'll all read it and discuss it. And uh, hopefully it'll give you some feel good vibes this summer when we're in this really weird new normal. Yes um basically we want to mention that just because whenever
1: we'd start doing flashback summer like always we've been like we're just being nostalgic and these definitely aren't like worst books but people are like excuse me are you saying the animorphs is worst because i will fight you and like no we're not and just moving forward even more so like it really is just going to be a celebration of childhood favorite books whether or not they're bad in any way maybe they're not we'll find out I, um, I think slash hope that's everything. Again, so. just thank you to everyone for listening and thanks to everyone who contributed. And just people have been so nice to us. And I, I'm just just a little... I swear I haven't been drinking. <laughs> I've just been talking for a long time.
0: <laughs> I'm just a little emotional is all. It is it is honestly... Um... You know, and we said this before. We said this at every fucking milestone, but it is worth saying because it is important that like we are at 150 episodes largely because f- people care about mm. the fact that we're doing this. People enjoy it. People reach out to us to tell us that they enjoy it, to give us suggestions, even sometimes to disagree with us, which we think is great. Like. I personally love it when someone on Twitter is like, "Oh, like I loved that book, yeah. like that's great." I I think that's excellent. Like I I would never take it personally if you love a book that I hate or hate a book that I love. Uh, I sometimes I, might take that one personally.
1: <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, also, this podcast would not have carried on in this fashion if it weren't for our amazing editor, Becca, who's who has patched this patchwork podcast together um specifically this episode um is more work than normal but all of them are work and thank you for it becca and thank you patreon patrons for helping us pay her but not enough so thank you becca thank you
0: everyone yes um you know it's great to have gotten this far um and i'm excited to read some probably good books this summer
1: yeah Um, I guess I'll, I guess we can breeze through our spiel if you would like to tell us about books that you liked or didn't like, or send me pictures of your cats or whatever. Um, we are on Facebook and Instagram at worst bestsellers with an S. We're on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S because of coronavirus. The (laughs) S
0: I guess social. We're socially distancing <laughs> ourselves from the S. I guess. Yeah, the
1: S is in quarantine. Well, well. Hopefully, you see it again one day, but actually, never, because I don't think Twitter's changing that. Um, we also our website is worse. I also love, by the way, that every time we like slowly explain social media to all of you, like you don't know, like <laughs> just Google it. Just Google us.
0: Thanks. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, we're we're on all the things, we're on all the podcast places, we would appreciate a rate and review from you, our wonderful listeners, Uh, as Renata has said several times, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash worst bestsellers, if you'd like to become a patron, we've redone the tiers, and there's all sorts of cool stuff that you could get, Uh, and we do appreciate the money, because uh, also, as Renata says, our editor deserves to be paid much more than she currently is. Uh, and we are able to pay her at all because of you guys. If you are interested in following me on Twitter, where I, or Instagram, or Tumblr, or anything, where I am mostly posting pictures of outfits that I'm wearing, and uh, basically that's it. Uh, I'm <laughs> but at they're fourteen
1: good, across. They're good outfits, Bront. <laughs> I'm at Renata Snacks, and I'm losing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we all are. <laughs> um, next and- up, we'll be starting flashback summer. We will be welcoming back uh, not only a favorite guest here, but our first guest, first ever, Carrie, to talk about the Black Stallion Revolts by Walter Farley.
1: Yeah, horse books. All right. Um, I've said it a million times. I'll say it one more. Thanks. Thank Bye. you.
0: Bye. I-